Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show, where we interview fighters and firebrands on the political and cultural battlefields. With us today is Rabbi Yitzchak Adlerstein, Director of Interfaith Affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, the founder of CrossCurrents.com, and the author of Nesivot Shalom and Be'er Hagola, which explore the worldviews of the Slonimer Rebbe and the Maharal of Prague, respectively. The former was published by Koren and the latter by Artscroll. Rabbi Adlerstein, welcome to the program. Thanks, it's great to be here. I remember fondly the days in which we interacted when you were editor of the Jewish Press. Thank you kindly. Okay, so I want to talk to you today mainly about Judaism's attitude toward Christianity, which you addressed in an article published in 2017 in Chakira, which I would encourage all my listeners to look up and read. Just Google Adlerstein, Chakira, No See, and 23, that's the volume number, and you'll find it right away. It's really worth reading. Anyways, in that article, Rabbi Adlerstein, you write the following. Attitudes that became ingrained through two millennia of hatred of Jews in Europe can't be reversed overnight, but we are well past overnight. There are some attitudes that need to change because people change, and they have changed. It is simply not true that all non-Jews hate all Jews. There are plenty millions who love us. We have no idea how long this will last, but it would be foolish to pretend that it is not so and to squander a bracha that Hashem has given us, at least for the moment. And then in a footnote, you write the following. Adequate treatment of Chazal's statement that Halachahi biadua she'esav sonait liyakov is beyond the scope of this essay. We will suffice for the moment with the words of the Nitziv, who wrote that Esav is described as sincerely moved to love his previously estranged brother when they met. This is meant to teach us that whenever Esav shows us that love, we are to reciprocate it. End quote. I wonder if you can expand on this footnote. What did Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai mean when he said that it is a well-known halacha that Esav hates Yaakov? Um, I really don't know, because first of all, I don't know if he actually said it. There is uh, significant evidence that that's not what he said, that the original girsa, the original text, read, Halo biyadua she'esav sonei es Yaakov. And there is a likelihood, Halo, hey lamed aleph, got abridged by some copyist to Hey Lamid with a shmidjik, and that in a later printing, it got changed to Halacha He. I'm not going to swear to that one way or another, and I don't think it makes much of a difference in the bottom line, but it should be enough to get people at least to pause for a second to listen. I also did a search, Barilan search, through all... Shalos and Chuvis literature, and Hashkafic material. And I did not find a single citation that took that statement, even assuming that Rav Shem said, Halacha hi that it means anything else but Esav, Esav the person. Yes, indeed, it was known that Esav hated Yaakov. And yet at that moment, his mercy was moved. The first references that I, at least I was able to find extending the meaning of Esav in that package to either the church or all non-Jews in general, which really makes no sense whatsoever, 
was in the 19th century. So I'm not ready to throw that out either. I have a great respect for the intuition of Klal Yisrael and for things that Gedola Yisrael come to value after a long time. But still, that has to be taken in perspective of, of other needs and maybe other realities. And my contention is that right now we have needs on multiple levels for maintaining a different relationship with much of, not all of, certainly, but much of the Christian world. I would ask people to also consider the great friendship between one of our greats and a non-Jew, namely Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the uh, compiler of the uh, Mishnah, and his good friend, Marcus Aurelius. And the latter, this is a Gemara, asked him, asked Rabbeinu HaKadosh, he said, you know, you think there's any chance I'm going to get into Olam Haba? And Rebbe said, yeah, sure. And he said, but how could it be? And he quoted a Pasuk in one of our Haftoros about how HaKadosh Baruch Hu hates Esau. So Rabbeinu HaKadosh's response was a very telling one. He said, yes, that's true, but that's only Baosa Misa Esau. And you don't. That to engender that kind of divine hostility has to be actively engaged in the kind of actions that we associate with Esau. But not every non-Jew does. Now, if that was true, in the time of Rebbeinu HaKadosh, I think it's Allah Kama true today for a number of reasons. And as I wrote in that Chakira article, that I don't know how long it's going to last. As a matter of fact, there's been a lot of loss of friendship since the time that I wrote that article. Evangelicals are losing the next generation. There's no question about it. But many will survive. And it's in our best interest when we don't have to compromise any halachic issues and we don't have to put Jewish neshamas at risk by going soft on proselytizing, when those things are, are treated properly, we'd be sort of crazy not to accept the embrace, literally, of tens of millions of Christians around the world. It's not like the state of Israel has all that many friends out there. And it's not like the Jewish people have all that many friends out there. In that same Chakir article, you also write, quote, It is true that Avodah Zarah is repugnant to Hashem. It is also true that atheism is worse than Avodah Zarah and that belief systems which accept the existence of a supreme being, but see that being sharing slash delegating some power to other beings may not even be forbidden to non-Jews, end quote. And then in a footnote, you cite the Evan Ezra in support of your statement that atheism is worse than Avodah Zarah. And I subsequently learned that the Maharalmi Prague agrees with the Evan Ezra, who writes that the Aserah Dibros are written in order of decreasing severity. In other words, to reject the first Dibra, that there is a God, is worse than rejecting the second Dibra, that there is more than one God. So two things. Number one, can you elaborate on this point? And number two, are there additional sources that state that atheism is worse than Avodah Zarah? Yes. I can't tell you that I have them on my fingertips, but the Ibn Ezra is not alone. He was the first that I encountered. But you do have... Some interesting sources out there, even a uh, Ralbag, Anach, in one incident where a Navi was sent to a group of Ovde of Avazara 
and some of our commentators assumed that he was there to try to tell him, repent, the world is coming to an end. But the Ralbag, I think it's the Ralbag, one of the Mephorshaman, the Daf of Mikros Kedolos, says that what he was actually sent was to kind of reduce their Avodazara, to make it something more palatable. Not all Avodazara is created equal. Returning to your point, though, about atheism being being worse, you do have some Mephorshim in Devarim who talk about the Pasuk, Asher Chalak, Hashem Elokim La'amin. So I believe on that Pasuk you have a number of Mephorshim, I think starting with the Balakeda, who say that the insistence for Jews to believe firmly in the oneness of Hashem, an extremely subtle and profound and deep concept, is critical for the Jewish neshama and part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's expectation from us. But they say, hey, non-Jews never had an opportunity to learn about the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So if they believe in a supreme being who created heaven and earth and then get a little confused about his management policy and leave room for some other beings there. For us, that's horrendous. But for them, it's entirely mutter. Now, halachically, am I willing to say that that's the bottom line? Halacha? No, of course I can't. I think the Rishonim are pretty much split on the idea of whether shituf, that means believing in a supreme being and leaving room for uh, a... Uh, co-director is pretty much split among the Rishonim and uh, you'll have to come to your own halachic conclusions but I think I never answered your original question uh, who besides the Ibn Ezra says explicitly that atheism is worse the morale does and I think practically speaking we could see it in our own society I mean, I met someone recently who thought it was a good idea to spit when he walked by a church, which apparently some people in Europe did because, well, the Christians weren't very nice to us back then. But I was thinking to myself, if you're going to spit by a church, you should spit five times when you walk past a movie theater and a university because those places are doing far more damage to the world, far more than any church is doing nowadays. I think it's not good practice to spit when passing a church, although I do understand the sentiment. Anybody who has read Jewish history, particularly European Jewish history, for centuries and centuries, as I wrote in Chakira, that kind of bitter, horrific association with the church is not something that passes quickly. For those for whom time is standing still, I sort of understand that. I think that our community can be faulted somewhat in not revisiting important issues like that, important because they affect our relationship with our neighbors and they reflect our security as a community, to not revisit that when there is evidence that it should be revisited is a shortcoming. But for those who have not been swept up by modernity, I can understand why the association is such a bitter one that viscerally leads to a reaction of complete contempt. I also often think to myself, how many from Jews have gone off the derech 
because they encountered a Christian missionary or encountered Christian teachings. I mean, you probably could count them on one hand versus we all know, unfortunately, there are thousands and thousands of kids who go off because they're attracted to secularism or hedonism, basically, the absence of any really controlling God who has any say about our behavior. So, I mean, clearly the danger to the Jewish community is not from Christianity. It's from right. modern hedonism. Yisrael Salanter used to say, that if Jews would understand, if the non-Jews would understand the effect of the church bells tolling on a Sunday morning on Jewish neshamas, they would never stop them from ringing. Now, that was true 150 years ago. But the modern version of that would be that the effect that a secular culture in which personal autonomy is the only God that is served and that there are no rules and that there is nothing that is absolute and there is nothing that is transcendent and holy. There's only what spirituality means for me, that that today is the equivalent of the church bells of 150 years ago and having a far more profound, horrible effect on Jewish young people than the local churches. If anything, the way America and the entire West are going, I think it can be cautiously stated that the two communities actually need each other for a certain amount of chizuk. It's very hard to survive as the only people on the face of the earth that still believe that there was a divine revelation. And lots of liberal churches threw that out a long time ago. Those people who do believe that God speaks to man and makes certain non-negotiable demands of man because he loves them and he understands how they work, they help us survive as a minority. But they are pretty much calling out for help today because they need the support of other people who will tell them that, hey, guys, you're not crazy. Don't let the other guys get you down. Wokeism should not affect your passion for God. I'm going to quote your Hakir article one last time. Normally I would paraphrase your words, but I really, in this instance, can't improve on them because your article is really succinct and really powerful. And so I'm going to quote you one last time. You write, I know we covered some of this already, but I just think it's important to get this quote out there and get your comments perhaps. You write, it is absolutely forbidden for a Jew to maintain Christian beliefs. Held to a different standard by the Torah in which we are obligated, belief in the Trinity is certainly a repudiation of a normative understanding of Hashem's oneness. On the other hand, it is simply untrue that all Christians believe in a single, unnuanced, simplistic notion that any fool could see through. It is especially true that most will give full-throated declaration to their belief in God's oneness, and that many have not even contemplated how their belief in one part of the Trinity might conflict with that declaration. They just don't go there. In their minds, they are monotheists." End quote. So in my previous question, I assumed for argument's sake that Christianity might be a vote of Zora. In this paragraph, though, you seem to be suggesting that it might not be. So is it or is it not? So there are two parts to that question. One is what we talked about before, that for Jews, it certainly is a vote of Zora. No questions about it. For non-Jews, for Christians, is it a vote of Zora? Rishonim are split pretty much down the middle. But the factor that you just read to the audience is that the objectionable part of Christianity, of course, is the Trinity. Lots and lots and lots of Christians 
just have no idea of what that means. As you said, I said, I don't remember what I wrote, that uh, people just don't even ask the question of, if I believe in this one being who is unlike any human being and above everything that we can think of and the cause of everything in the universe, how does that jibe with him becoming physical and becoming human? the incarnation, how does that make any sense? To lots of people, they just don't ask the question. When you ask them what they believe, they tell you that they believe in one God, the same God of Israel. Would you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, do. Yeah, I pray to him too. That, the contradiction is not something that occurred to them. That I would add that this is more so of Protestants, than of Catholics. Catholics have close to 2,000 years of working on theological issues. They have a, a rich literature. We disagree with almost all of it, but they've thought of it, and they have some deep thinkers, and theology continues to be important to them. You have a whole group, actually multiple groups in the Vatican, working on theological issues, on changing their form when necessary, understanding how new new ideas fit into it. But Protestants, for the most part, don't really think theology. They'll take a class in something called systematic theology, but it's not too systematic, at least not in the schools that, that I've seen and the friends with whom I've interacted. What I've heard from friends in the Christian world is that the average guy at the Sunday service, the only theology he ever hears is what his preacher might throw in in a Sunday sermon. So it's not lahavdul like us learning Derech Hashem or learning Sefer Mado of the Rambam. It's just not anything that goes that deep where people are asking the questions and making fine distinctions. So in an environment like that, it is so easy for people to say, look, the key teaching there is, there's one God. There's one God, and he's responsible for everything in the universe, and I want to have a relationship with him. And they firmly believe in that. Now, the question I was throwing out in that Hakeem article was, I can't tell you how HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at that, but even if you consider a vastly held form of Trinitarianism, belief in the Trinity, yeah, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. People can say that, but what's really in their heart is, I don't know what any of that means. You know, my, that's, that's the way I was brought up. That's what they say in church. And I know I'm not Jewish, so of course I believe that. But what do you really believe? I believe in one God. So how HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at that, I can't tell you, but it's at least should create some a suffix, uh, some doubt in our minds about even if theologically, according to half of Rishonim, it is a Vodazara, how many of the people out there are actually practitioners of that Avodazara or have modified it in their own minds? Um, a friend of mine around five or ten years ago wrote a PhD. I don't know if you saw it because I don't think it was published yet. I think it's supposed to be published soon, relatively speaking. But he wrote a PhD on the Attitude toward non-Jews of Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, Rav Yaakov Etlinger, the Aruch Laner, and Rav Israel Hildesheimer. 
I think those three, maybe even fourth one. I have a copy of the dissertation. Oh, okay, fine. So he teaches at Turo. Michael Miller. Anyway, so he writes that all those Rabbanim and other postkim in Germany said took it as a given that all the halachas in the Gemara about non-Jews refer to pagans, not generic non-Jews, specifically pagans. And he quotes, I think it's the Beis Shmuel. I tried to look it up. I couldn't find it. There's a commentary in the Shulchan Aruch that apparently says that. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit in terms of halachas in Gemara. Do they refer to non-Jews? Do they refer to pagans? Um, you should have Michael Miller on the show. But, uh, <laughs> Probably true. It's a very, very interesting dissertation. He was kind enough to share it with me at the behest of Dr. Judy Bleich, who was on his dissertation committee. I've had the privilege of being close with the Bleichs for many decades and consider Rav David Bleich one of my uh, Rebbeim and mentors. Um, the attitudes that he treats in that dissertation do not start with those three individuals. Certainly, Rav Yaakov Emden was one of the most prominent names to have a kind of very accepting and positive view of Christianity, believe it or not. Rav Yaakov Emden was not always such an easygoing person in other areas, but he was very complex. You do have, much earlier than Rav Yaakov Emden, marginal notes here and there saying that all references to non-Jews and to Ovde Avadazara mean the horrible pagan beasts in times of old, but not the Umos Hagaduros Bedos, not the nations that are bound and civilly run by religious precepts. Uh, the most famous of those, of course, was the Meiri. And the Meiri's protestations that all the things in the Gemara that refer to those of Adazara did not refer to Christians is subject to a lot of work even to this day. Rabbi Bleich, for instance, says that when the Miri talks about notes written, he doesn't mean Christians. He means a minor group that happened to have that same name. People will disagree about that. And of course, the halachic world doesn't stand on the shoulders of the Mi'iri alone. But you did have from Provence and from other areas, people who had a more liberal view to the non-Jews of their day. It could be that there really was no dispute and that the different Chitos were talking each according to their own experience of the kind of non-Jews that they knew whether they really were civilized people and monotheists or they weren't. But it's an old argument. There are many references to it. The problem with many of them is that we're not sure anybody actually meant it. That because for hundreds of years, everything that we published was overseen by church censors, that the only way you could get any book published, including fundamental works like Kamara or Shulchan Aruch or Rambam would be to make these little notations. You find the asterisk and then a little notation at the bottom of the page. You'll find it even in first editions of the Mishnah Baruch. And uh, it, it wasn't because those who wrote them actually felt that way, but because they had to write it in order to escape the wrath of the local church. You do have exceptions here and there. The Ber Hagola, the one on the side of Shulchan Aruch, 
who talks about attending the funeral of a non-Jew. Is it mutter for Jew to attend the funeral? Understanding that it's going to be in a church. So he doesn't talk about going into the church. That's a different issue. But as far as giving that honor, he says, look, these non-Jews are different from the non-Jews in the time of the Gemara. That's not what the Gemara meant. And he apparently meant it. So I, th- I think I actually meant the Ber Hagola, now that you mentioned the name. And I think he's the one that refers and others refer to in their writings, quoted by Michael Miller. And I think knowing from Hirsch's other writings, I would think Hirsch probably meant it as well. Hirsch did not have total contempt for non-Jews, that's for sure. Shamshul uh, Paul Hirsch actually ran a celebration of Goethe in Frankfurt, to which he invited not only the school, but the entire community. And you know, thought the, thought the world of his uh, of his ideas and his poetry. And if the, I may, the, permit, the, if I may be permitted to correct you for a second, I, th- I believe it was Schiller, not Goethe. I believe actually he did right. not like Goethe. Sorry, thank you. It was Schiller, no right? Yeah. It was Schiller. Um, I guess the last thing on this subject. Maybe we'll have one other question after this. And if you don't want to get into this, just tell me. We won't have to talk about it. But Christianity in, in Israel. I mean, even if you have very permissive understandings of Christianity in Chutzlaret, in America, or anywhere else. I think Israel might be a little bit different because Israel is supposed to be a Jewish country. It's kind of like, you know, your home versus outside your home. Like in your home, you know, you want to educate your kids to be a certain way. You don't let every influence into your home. So the Jewish country is supposed to be the place where the Jewish people are educating themselves Jewishly. And even if you think Christianity is wonderful for non-Jews, maybe it just doesn't belong in the Jewish country, just like Judaism probably doesn't belong in the Vatican and Judaism doesn't belong in Mecca. So... How would we deal with Christianity in Israel? I would respond to your question by channeling what Tonto told the Lone Ranger, which was, what do you mean we, white man? Uh, Who's the we that you're talking about? From Jews, the state of Israel? The state of Israel. You really have to differentiate. No, the, the state of we, Israel is assuming that we, we know from people are getting more and more power, supposing that it's in the... I'm glad you made the distinction. Because the Declaration of Independence talked about Israel being a Jewish state. Subsequent legislation from day one emphasized that Israel would also be a democratic state. As former Chief Rabbi Lau pointed out the other day, the Declaration of Independence does not say democratic even once. It says Jewish about 20 times. But the state of Israel from the beginning held itself out to the world as being a democratic state. We're seeing now with this horrible wave of the world ganging up on Israel, pretty much fueled by leftists in Israel. I would call it sedition on the part of people like Lapid, who will stop at nothing, including changing the entire perception of the Jewish state in the eyes of the, the world community for their benefit rather than rallying to support it. We did get to this point by telling the world that we were a democratic country. You can't be a democracy and quash the ability of people to speak or to practice religion. You can't. Israel has rules tighter than most countries against missionaries. They are not anywhere as tight as you or I would like to see in a Torah state but it's not a Torah state. And it won't be a Torah state. That'd be Asagoa, the Meher of Yamenu. 
as long as it's not, and it claims to be a democracy and offers that advantage to citizens and visitors, it can't tell people as two members of UTJ tried in a bill introduced like two days ago that is now tearing apart, tearing apart evangelical support for Israel around the world. They can't say, we're going to introduce a bill that makes it illegal for a person in the state of Israel to speak about Christianity to his neighbor, punishable by one year in jail. You just can't do that. And when you do that, you're endangering Jewish lives. I don't expect those two MKs to get it. I don't know how much they understand of the rest of the world altogether. And I don't know how much they care really about the state of Israel. But that's really the answer to your question. We can't be a democratic state. I know that's not a Torah value, but we're not a Torah state. We're not a Torah state. Until we're a Torah state, if we're telling the world that we're a democratic state, then that is part of the reason why we enjoy the limited support that we do. You can't tell people that they can't proselytize. So where does that leave us? It means that the same way that they are allowed to proselytize, which, by the way, they're not to children under 18, and you can't proselytize by offering compensation. I think that perhaps that legislation could be tightened further, and it shouldn't just be compensation to convert, but any kind of incentive to join the group by giving material benefit. But be that as it may, if they have the ability to open up horrible proselytizing centers, our response has to be not trying to solve the problem legislatively, but we have the same ability to stand outside those locations or to get the storefront next door and to do a better job reaching out to vulnerable Jews. That is the response that we should be considering. Not endangering, which they did, these two MKs did in one fell swoop, because as much as a few of us tried to calm frayed nerves a little bit, Newsmax featured an interview this morning with a messianic Jew who's a rabble rouser himself, who used it to his advantage. And of course, then it got into the entire evangelical world, not just in the United States, but around the world. I'm not so familiar with the situation in Israel. In America, as far as I know, missionaries are really not a problem in the firm community or, or the Jewish community. Is it a problem in Israel? I, I, don't, have, I don't have numbers. Okay. But the, the sheer number of people who are here engaged in that kind of work has to be scary. Now, it's true. Missionaries have had very, very, very little success with Jews. A study, and I think it was the last decade of the 19th century, uh, produced by some missionaries, say, look, we've been here for over 10 years. We've poured X amount of money into it. And at the end of 10 years, we succeeded in converting one Jew. Um, they have converted more than one Jew. You have Messianic synagogues in Israel. That should not be. That hurts a lot. At the same time, people, when they hear about missionaries working in Israel, shouldn't assume that all of their work is aimed at Jews. It's not. There are lots and lots and lots of foreign workers here. There are lots of people who are lapsed Christians. They're proselytizing too. 
But it, it is very, very sad when you find out about Ethiopian Jews who held on to their tradition literally for thousands of years, come to Israel expecting this to be Gane then, and then a couple of them, really only a couple, decide to go, uh, to go south theologically and open up churches that then cater to Ethiopians and get them to become Messianic Jews. I wasn't going to push back on what you said before, but let me just ask quickly. I mean, you said it's not going to be perfect until there's a Torah state, but I mean, obviously, Hashem wants us to move towards a Torah state. Now, I know having a Torah state includes like a million components. So is it your position? Because when I thought about this issue, my conclusion was because it includes a million components, maybe this Christian thing is one of the last ones we should tackle rather than one of the first. Is that maybe how you would think about it also? Because obviously, we're supposed to work towards a Torah state, are we not? We are, we are, but we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we've achieved it before we've achieved it. There is, as much as we try not to use the words, there are elements of Golas still here in Israel. We don't have a base of Middash, we don't have Mashiach, we don't have a Torah state. I think we have to be honest with ourselves to realize that one of the reasons why we don't have a Torah state is because we're incapable of running one. We don't have, it's just not on the agenda of the Torah community, you know, with the exception of some individuals here and there, although they were mostly from the Dati Lumi community, who wrote extraordinarily good works on Hilchus Medina, of what a Torah state would look like. But in the Haredi world, it's just not a topic of discussion, how we should be running a Torah state. We don't have people putting in, I mean, there are a few exceptions. We, we certainly have the manpower that could do it. And every now and then you have a group of Haredim who try to create some kind of a think tank. Eli Palay, the publisher of Mishpacha, has a, a think tank, although I don't think that he's doing halachic material on how we should be running the state. You do occasionally have people who write very good articles about how we could transition in the production of electricity in the state to a situation in which there is less Chil Shabbos than there is today. Okay, I was going to ask you about the Maharal, but I think we've spoken long enough. So anyone who's interested in the Maharal, you wrote a book published by Art School, so they're welcome to read it. Rabbi Edelstein, really thank you so very much for your time and for your wisdom and Hatzlach and all your work. Thank you. All right, that does it for us. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to it and giving it a good rating and a nice review if you're so inclined. Thank you for joining us today or this evening, and stay tuned for next week's episode.